When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. Betches Media presents... Chrissy Teigen referred to Donald Trump as a pussy-ass bitch. Look, he's a sick puppy. He, he, shouldn't, be, he shouldn't be there. Well, I lost half a day of skiing. I'm going to punch him out. I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to be happy. The Betches Sub Podcast. A speaker has not been elected. Hello, welcome to the Betches Up Podcast. I'm Amanda Duberman, the Senior Director for News and Activism at Betches. I'm Elise Morales, a comedian and the writer of the Betches Up newsletter. And I'm Millie Tamaris, comedian and sub video contributor. <laughs> Fresh off these two of their appearance on the Las Culturistas podcast, the most, I think, the most influential culture podcast. You know, apart it from is? this one, when we talk about Absolutely. culture. Yes. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, Absolutely. after Betches Up. <laughs> Which everyone pronounces correctly. <laughs> I know, truly. Well, Bowen did. Truly. Bowen was really, and Bowen researched it too. Bowen's oh, a fan. Matt's a fan. They should follow us then. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to Millie's, I don't think so, honey. But that's why they're the professionals. That's why they win the awards. Because they're not mm-hmm. introducing us and going, uh, the co-host of SUP. It's the beach. (laughs) What's up, bitch? (laughs) Yes. I've literally been brought up stage on, and please welcoming the host of What's Up, Bitch? (laughs) Yeah, What's Up, Bitch? I'm like, okay, I'm the co-host of Bitches (laughs) Sub. If Milky and Slide ever do a spinoff, it can be called What's Up, Bitches? It was so, because that is my favorite podcast, and all of my friends listen to it too, and it was just like, so I, I had to like keep, like I was walking around outside. I like I should have been working, but I was like, oh, it's up. I'm going to go. I need to go walk around for an hour and a half. And it was just like really strange. I was like, oh, I can't participate. I can't. Inter- I can't. You can't interject. Yell at them. But I have a list of things I would have added that I'll send to you. And maybe I'll tag Bowen and Matt too. I'm sure they care. <laughs> um, well, and now if we do have any listeners coming from Las Culturistas to, to hear, you got to meet our silly asses. But now you get to meet the actual brains of the operation. Yes. Amanda Duberman. Yes. <laughs> I show up from time to time. Angel co-host. Yeah. Well, when when Amanda's not here this isn't betcha's sup anymore it's betcha's pups and we yeah. talk dumb dog shit so. <laughs> all right well please please listen to that it was such a great episode and then you will definitely be uh diehard less culturistas listeners and um if you're new here we talk about news and politics some mm-hmm. days are heavier than others this is definitely a today's definitely a real straight politics day mm-hmm. and uh monday might be a little a little looser, but we talk about. I would say it's a lot of um, a lot of repo rights and just things. The men that make us mad, yeah, mm-hmm. which are not Matt and Bowen. All the other no. ones, no, no, no. Perfect. And the guy on Tinder who <laughs> unmatched me for being a feminist. <laughs> that was so funny. You have to listen. You have to listen for that tea. All right, gals, should we start with some numbers today? Absolutely. Hit us okay. with some numbers. Sixty-nine. <laughs> Four twenty. I love numbers. <laughs> Today's number is thirty-six. That is in reference to 36 points. That is how far ahead Donald Trump is of Ron DeSantis in a recent poll of Republican voters. So that poll found that at the head of a hypothetical GOP primary field with 58% of the vote, Trump would win rather with 58% of the vote, followed by DeSantis with 22%. So like imagine, I mean, this is a smaller poll, but sort of imagine like, imagine a national election of Republicans today. 58% of them would vote for Donald Trump and 22% with for Ron DeSantis. This comes as numerous reports have blasted DeSantis's lack of charisma, especially during his like really bizarre and necessary overseas trip. One headline I really enjoyed this week referred to him as Ron DeTedious. Wow. Yeah. That's this good. poll, I mean, let's let's pause there. That gap is kind of crazy to me because I have seen this man referred to as the presumptive nominee. I've seen Trump referred to as the presumptive nominee too, but I've also, I mean, I feel like the media has sort of treated them as 
in a way neck and neck with Trump maybe having the sort of like previously failed incumbent advantage. Does this gap surprise you or is it like right on the nose? So like it does and it doesn't for me because on the one hand, it's like we have seen so much media propping up Ron DeSantis as like a really viable alternative to Trump. But then I'm also like, I think we're falling for the same bullshit that happened in 2016. People don't want to believe that the Republican base actually likes Donald Trump this much. And so it's like in 2016, like we we were always falling for these, you know, no, there's no way he could win. There's no way he could win the primary. There's no way he could win the general. They don't like him this much. It's not real. What we're seeing on the ground isn't correct. And then it's like what these numbers remind me of is like, no, he's actually the most powerful and prominent figure in the Republican Party, which is one of two parties in the United States. He literally was the president. Uh, These people like him. And I I do kind of uh, it feels like a reality check to me to be like, don't fall for kind of the media's bullshit all the time around like who is and isn't a viable candidate, because at the end of the day, the Republican base likes Donald Trump. Yeah, I think like it's surprising because, again, what Elise said, like. It really just showed that like, wow, Donald Trump, like even Donald Trump was scared, too, you know, and like calling out in inequities and like how Donald Trump had to announce and like the whole thing with his campaign financing and all that stuff with Ron DeSantis. Um, and in many ways, he was Ron DeSantis was a little bit more scary because he's a little bit more polished and, you know, not as a loose cannon as Donald Trump. But but the, the at the core, he's trying to do the Trump thing of like these incredibly ineffective like policies that are culture war bullshit and all of that. And like, it's just. I'm glad, like, I'm not surprised that he's not more popular, but I thought he would be more popular with Republicans because I kind of felt like with all the, it's not even just the the media propping up. It's like, there's a lot of reasons to not like Donald Trump, you know, with the, all the indictments and the arraignment and all that shit. I really did think like, okay, well, if they had an alternative, you know, a lot of even the Mitt Romney Republicans, if they had an alternative to not have Donald Trump and his misfit kids literally and figuratively as the representatives of a Republican party, they would choose otherwise. I guess the message is Donald Trump. Don't doubt yourself, baby. Yeah. Yeah. If anyone has imposter syndrome, it's Donald Trump. <laughs> don't let it creep in. Don't listen. Don't listen. Only to the I can fix it. Aim higher, man. <laughs> I think you need an even stronger affirmation than I could shoot somebody on fifth Avenue and get away with it. Well, like you well, said, Elise, I think that there's sort of like that, that group of establishment Republicans that is much smaller. I think the media thinks it's huge. It's like mm-hmm. nearly half of Republicans, but unfortunately, it's a it's a small amount of Republicans. It's like Mitt yeah. Romney and a couple of his friends, and even you know they're a little weird with their under their <laughs> undergarments. But most people mm-hmm. aren't like most people. Those are the people saying we we like Trump's policy, but where he's too much of a loose cannon, he makes us look bad, and we like DeSantis because he's more polished. But a lot of Trump supporters like him specifically because he is a loose cannon, and he just yeah. says whatever he wants, and he has no feels no type of way about it. And taking him, I mean, him as a real candidate is kind of relevant. I mean, this poll comes just as CNN announces. I couldn't believe this, that they will host Donald Trump for a town hall in New Hampshire next week. CNN's Caitlin Collins, she's like, like I mean, she's an, she's amazing. She's just like a a woman under thirty, and I think Trump doesn't respect those people, especially when they're liberals. Um, she'll moderate the event, and Trump will answer questions from New Hampshire Republicans and undeclared voters. This is actually going to be Trump's first appearance on CNN since the 2016 presidential campaign. He didn't talk to them at all during uh, his presidency. And just to, just a reminder here, he never Donald Trump has never acknowledged that he lost the 2020 election. I think just before we started recording, one of the people on January 6th got charged with sedition. I mean, we know CNN's ratings are bad. Is this like literally like a week after Don Lemon? They're like, I guess we need Trump. Yeah. Um, th- this entire first news segment to me is just it's actually scaring me because I'm like, we literally have or not we. We have learned we here at the Badge of Sub podcast. Yes. The Real media news. 
apparatus has not learned shit from what happened in the last presidential election. That is very alarming to me. They are both writing off and propping up Donald Trump simultaneously, which was the same toxic combination that got us him in the first place. And um, I mean, I guess we'll have to see how they handle the town hall, but it's like, this is not a man who answers questions. There's no value to sitting down with him and asking him kind of anything. Like, I don't know. I feel like he's running, you know, his fanboys are not going to like, don't typically watch CNN. So that'll be interesting. Um, he's not going to answer questions. So I feel like, yeah, I feel like in a way I'm like, I actually am interested to see what he has to say. If even asked like, Millie wants to see his new type five. (laughs) I know. I want to see his new material. I want to see his new live stand up. I want to know what he's thought about all this stuff. They're going to ask about January 6th. He's never been publicly like asked about January 6th. He's not going to answer shit. That's so true. Wow. Yeah, he's not, he hasn't answered publicly for a lot of things. All the foxes, all the shit, it's just softball, softball, softball. So there's a medium ball that might be whatever. And if anything, it's going to be clippable because he's going to sound like a fucking dumbass. So I don't know. I'm like, if they just, I don't know. I, I Like at one point, it's like I get, you know, we don't want to prop him up. But at the end of the day, he ain't going anywhere with Republicans. Like mm-hmm. Republicans already fucking love him. So it's not like we're going to prop him up any more than he is. But it's also like it could also be funny. To me, it's just <laughs> mostly noteworthy. I think that, yeah, the media outlets are discussing among themselves how much do we pay attention to this man as the front runner and how much does us giving him oxygen, um, you know, enhance his status as the front runner. The thing about this is just that, like, we, we know CNN is so desperate for viewers that they're desperate for ratings. They really, they're really trying to go for this, like, middle of the road thing because they think they overcorrected during the fascist administration from 2016 to 2020. Like, other networks, I would still sort of roll my eyes, but there's just something about it. Being being CNN, where they're really just doing it for the for the attention. They should have saved yeah. it for CNN Plus. Well, Brenda. that should canceled. Yeah, that should got canceled in two days. Um, <laughs> don't write that joke da- down, Elise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't write that joke. Um, what I was gonna say, Amanda, is I want to do a pitch where we rank Ron DeSantis nicknames mm. Uh, mm, because yeah. Ron DeTedious is a new one. I'm still partial to Meatball Ron. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think Meatball Ron was the tip top. But then Ron <laughs> DeSanctimonious, that's a little long. Ron DeTedious, because I'm like... Putting fingers. The, Ron DeTedious, <laughs> there was something in there, like, he did something to somebody. Yeah, that, for, it's just melodious, too. Like, Ron DeTedious just feels great. Yeah. Yeah, DeTedious. Yeah. I think DeSanctimonious, the issue is... <laughs> <laughs> is I don't think that like with the people it needs to hit with necessarily sanctimonious is in their like vocab and that's not to be elitist if you heard my I don't think so honey it was against spelling and grammar I'm just saying I don't know if sanctimonious is like a word that springs to people's mind all the time I agree with you because people everyone gave Hillary Clinton a whole bunch of shit for saying bag of deplorables but I didn't know what the fuck deplorable meant. <laughs> like, I, that was not in my Talk regular Talk about a Streisand thing. effect. Yeah. Exactly. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck that well, is. A lot and of Republicans th- are like sanctimonious. What's wrong with that? Like that is their whole thing. That's their whole thing is being sanctimonious. They think that's our thing. They think that's a snowflake thing. But yeah, the tedious is up there. But Meet Bell Ron is really an early, it really just ran away from the pack early. I know. And then there's something with uh, Ron to Disney or there's some <laughs> Disney puns. That we have to investigate yeah, to more. Did you know <laughs> that he Disney. got married at Disney? That's crazy. That is yeah. crazy. crazy. More people need to know that. I'm obsessed with that. It's like in the way of like, you know, in the way that Republican politicians, a lot of them are secretly gay, you know, and they <laughs> put the most anti LGBTQ like policies. Ron is deep down a Disney adult. So do you mm-hmm. think that Ron supports the writer's strike? Oof. Oh. With Disney as a mutual enemy. 
Oh no. yeah, I mean, I wonder. I mean, I think that what Ron supports is AI writing. Um, Absolutely, yeah, is, is writing 1930s era Disney content. Probably. I mean, the man looks like a glitchy robot, so he's fine with it. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that he's probably in a third category where he doesn't support the strikers or Disney, and he wants it all to be taken over by AI. Um, that has been fed a bunch of like weird conservative doctrines. <laughs> so. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just like when you're so conservative, you can't even fuck with Disney. Like, there's not much right? left for you, dog. The happiest place on earth. It's a farce. It's a farce. I mean, Disney has like made strides to have more whatever representation of different things, but at the end of the day, it always represents the most like milk toast version of like American ideology or whatever yeah they're like we also love queer couples with two and a half kids and (laughs) alabaster like perfectly yeah all right so considering donald trump as the republican frontrunner for the presidential nomination by a pretty healthy margin and uh another biden trump rematch that was a pretty intense shot so i think it's time for a chase there Trump has a new ad campaign on Facebook, and it's touting, you know, how much worse life is for Americans under the Biden administration than it was under Trump. I don't know. Like, everything about the way our lives and bodies feel disagrees. But the ad, the thing about this ad, it features two prominent images in particular, one of a burning police car, a picture that was taken in Chicago in May 2020, and another photo of people walking through water in January 2020. These are This picture was presumably a reference to people illegally entering the United States. Now, listeners, I think you're fairly intelligent. I think you might have clocked those dates. And you are aware that those dates fell inside, distinctly inside the Trump administration, the tail end, but the Trump administration, indeed. Both of those images were not captured during the Biden administration. We're looking at this ad here, and it's you know an ominous picture of Biden with, with these pictures behind him, but also the image of the people walking, you guys can't see it, but it's actually people walking from Mexico to Guatemala. They're going the <laughs> other way. And it was during the Trump administration. Um, Amanda, so your first problem is you're looking for accuracy and truth and fact in a Trump ad on Facebook. I know. <laughs> <laughs> like... That is your first problem. Like, I don't want to victim blame here. I'm just thinking there's got to be one person that wanted to be good at their job and was like, these pictures are, you know, they probably were. They were probably like, these pictures are actually both from your administration, bro. And he's like, that's fine. That's not the point. If you're a person who wanted to be good at your job, that is like a disqualifying characteristic for working for the Trump campaign, I think. Like, I don't think you can have those kind of feelings. But again, what this makes me think about is like, I am so fucking freaked out about this 2016 do-over. Like, again, we are having ads that are being bought and paid for on Facebook that Facebook feels no, like, they don't feel beholden in any way to be like, hey, you actually can't run this ad because these photos are not accurate. Like, these are not accurate images because they're not, or they don't feel any, like, uh, responsibility to run a weird correction under them that say like well, like even Twitter has that weird feature now yeah, they do. where you can add context or whatever and it's just like we saw what this kind of content can do when he is running from outside of the presidency and uh it, yeah, it's all given me the heebie-jeebies, this entire situation. <laughs> There's got to like, be Ugh. a German word for 2016 election essence. Yeah. Deja vu. Yeah, deja vu of 2016, something. And that physical sensation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, how stupid do you think America is? You don't think America is going to remember that on January 21st, 2021, Jennifer Lopez sung Let's Get Loud <laughs> in, front of, in the middle of This Land is Your Land, Trump, and One also. What a terrible strategy to say how fucked up things got in Biden's America. Cause I don't know if you also remember a little thing happened in 2020 where a million people died and they fucked that up really fucking badly. That was also under. Tr- so it's like, mm-hmm. why would you bring attention to the one thing that 
probably cost you the election. If he did even, we talk about, we talk about all the time, <laughs> hashtag really like the, the whatever, yeah. but it's like, if Trump did even a little bit of presidential behavior and getting the country together, pushing vaccines, all of that shit, he would still be president, I believe, like wholeheartedly. Like I think if he did the bare minimum, true, yeah. but he didn't, he got COVID, he drove around. <laughs> he almost gave Joe Biden COVID. Like He almost gave Joe Biden COVID. Remember when he was in that SUV with the Secret Service, with the windows down? Like, what? And he looked so ill. Remember when he went and held the Bible weird? It was <laughs> the fly. Remember the fly on Mike Pence's head? Like, why would you, you know, okay. There was one school trip where I got my period in some white shorts and it got mm. all over them and everyone made fun of me. And and I was known, this one kid is like, aren't you that girl that got her period? Oh, no. Which is like, Horrible. Imagine if I was running for homecoming queen mm. and my entire campaign was about how I got my period, like the most embarrassing period of my life, figuratively and metaphorically. <laughs> I mean, that's so true because that defined, that did define that election is COVID. So you're right. It's like the funny thing here is even before you get to the incorrectly used photos, it's the fact that that they even think this is a strategic approach to draw yeah. a contrast between how people feel now versus then. It's like, you mean when you were running around with a deadly contagious disease and like denying people needed to get vaccinated versus like, versus now when like the president goes on his lawn with his wife and we're all like, yay. Yeah. yeah, and it's also just interesting because, like, there is an argument Donald Trump can make about, you know, were you better off four years ago? I don't think it's accurate, but it's an economy-based inflation-related argument. Like, he should have Jen Joe Shaw's Biden. Jen like, front- yup. Elizabeth <laughs> Holmes, yep. Well. I mean, literally, he should have <laughs> Joe Biden in front of a bunch of eggs and, like, a gas pump and stuff. And, like, right, that, right. That, like, yeah. that would actually, you know, he's allowed to make an argument. But it's just kind of I mean, it's absurd that he has two pictures that occurred when he was in office and for things that I just don't think maybe that's my liberal bubble too, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that people associate the 2020 protests or COVID with Joe Biden's presidency. Those are Trump (laughs) era things. People remember that. I think that the negative things people associate with Joe Biden are economic based maybe some border stuff but he could probably use an accurate trans picture kids, like any yeah, of the like trans weird, kid shit that kind of stuff like if that's the argument he wants to make whatever but it's like to actually use things that are so squarely in people's minds as part of his own administration that we remember watching all of these things unfold on TV and him being a major figure in them it's very odd to me. Yeah, it's like yeah. Ben Affleck. Like if Ben Affleck were like, or if J-Lo was, was in another, an amazing movie and she was doing like a four-year consideration campaign, she's not going to draw attention to Julie. She's going to do everything after. She's not going to yeah, draw yeah, attention yeah. there. Why would she do that? By the way, I was in this when she's asking for the highest honor that there is to point to their most mocked failure. Not, not, yeah. not really the move. Yeah, I... it's just crazy too when we talk about the Facebook of it all because I'm pretty sure it's illegal for you to say like to put a false before and after picture on like a plastic surgeon page or weight loss pills but somehow they can do this for political ads like where the fuck is the line yeah just put it on Twitter where no one will see it well We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair and skin, yes, but beyond that too. Since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, 
Only one is uniquely yours or mine. And pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash fever dream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash fever dream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash fever dream. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are four dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. All right. For the main news today, we have updates about the person in a competition with themselves to be the most corrupt federal employee in existence. ProPublica is back, and they are back with more receipts, this time with a report that Harlan Crow, this guy with the with the garden full of Nazi statues, mm-hmm. is the same billionaire businessman. Do you guys see how he's just like, I just think it's important that we remember the history. It's like with statues, you paid for, crazy. crazy. At your house. At your house in a garden. Anything. You're remembering yeah. This is at your house. This is not a public. We remember. <laughs> like, it's so crazy. It's like, it's not like he funded a public, like, art project to be like, here's a retrospective of statues of dictators. It's important that we remember this kind of stuff. They're in his personal <laughs> yeah. house. Yeah. yeah, it's somebody's job to keep to come clean them and keep them safe. So he is back in the picture because this is the same billionaire businessman who brought Thomas and his wife on luxury vacations, totaling in the millions of dollars, and who bought Clarence Thomas's mom's house without making her pay rent. This man has apparently also paid for Clarence Thomas's grandnephew to attend private high school. Oh my god! The kid's name he's thirty now is Mark Martin, and he is Thomas's <laughs> grandnephew. But he and Ginny took legal custody of him when he was six. They never fully adopted him, but. My understanding is that by all accounts, they were parenting him. Thomas didn't pay the $6,000 a month fee for Martin's schooling at a boarding school. This kid bounced between a few boarding schools, and Harlan Crow paid for all of them. ProPublica was able to identify specifically that one of the boarding schools Harlan Crow paid for through his company, but they talked to enough friends and sources who were like, oh, yeah, they oh, he was always paying. He was paying for him everywhere. And these, I mean, if you've ever paid, tuition is expensive. If you've ever paid tuition for anything, I mean, this this cost upwards of one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and that's not it's not a good look. Nor is it it's probably even illegal. But ProPublica reached out to Harlan Crow for comment, and his rep said. Harlan Crow has long been passionate about the importance of quality education and giving back to those less fortunate, especially at-risk youth. He refused the term at-risk youth over and over and over again. And I don't know everything about this young man, but he was adopted by the Thomases when he was six, and he was going through various boarding schools. And the Thomases were rich by all accounts in America. Yeah, I mean, it's very... It's very funny to refer to a child being actively raised by Clarence Thomas as an at-risk youth, and I'm not 100% sure that that's inaccurate, but... (laughs) Yeah, well... (laughs) In one sense or another. Yeah, there's a way in which that might be accurate, but um, I do have a friend who is a uh, alumnus of the, uh, like, Northeast boarding school system, (laughs) and he did say that Randolph-Macon, which is one of the schools that he went to does kind of have the rep of like, oh, you got in trouble somewhere else. Yeah, so now it you does sound like this This kid was having a, a, a like somewhat normal challenges, probably aggravated by the fact that like 
whatever he's, situation he was in where he needed to be adopted. By, but by it's just sort of like Guinea so Thomas, do a lot of people. So do a lot of people. A lot of people experience that. And you can't really just like go ask a benefactor for, for help. It's just ethically not what's allowed, regardless of what was happening. Yeah. And like it's just Clarence Thomas has the money to pay that. Yeah, he made a million dollars off his memoir. Well, I'm also looking, you know, quickly looked up if this nephew was black or not. (laughs) And he is black. So that just changed things. But it's also like, I can't be, I just, I don't understand like Ginny's politics in in which like. Ginny. Ginny, sorry. Ginny's politics in which like. call her Ginny. (laughs) Ginny, whatever, whatever this bitch is. I think that's like a racial slur for Italian people. So you should (laughs) really Oh, really? Ginny or Ginny? Yes. Okay. Today we learned. Keep this in education. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's vintage racism. Like that is like 1940s kind of shit. Mm -hmm. I don't understand the racial, like the politics of like somebody who is so right wing and Republican and having black family members, like and being married to a black man. You know, but I'm just, I'm just like, I'm sure that Harlan Crow did think that he was doing like the equivalent of donating to an orphanage by like paying for this kid's private school. And there are plenty of people, you know, obviously this kid had like a challenging upbringing, you know, and I'm just a kid. He's 30 now. Um, he had a challenging life and, but there are many people who have challenging lives that don't go to a $6,000 a month boarding school. So it's not like this was an insane need for this, uh, kid at the time. Uh, and also like, it's just one more thing that like proves that the whole point of bringing this up is not that a kid doesn't deserve to go to an expensive school or whatever, or like Clarence Thomas is a bad person for kind of adopting his nephew. And you know what I got? I'm glad you mentioned that because when we posted this on our Instagram, just before you continue, we got a couple DMs in response. Like, no, it does sound like this, like kid could have been like at risk, but as you were saying, it's like, unfortunately, when you become a Supreme Court justice, you relinquish the opportunity to ask powerful people, to let powerful people give you favors. Well, the thing is just, it's one more thing that he's beholden to Harlan Crow. Yeah. It's it's another thing. And again, it's not just like, oh, I'm doing a restaurant business. It, it is it is something that's a little bit more tied and a little bit more personal that it's not this benefactor who's just invested $10,000 into your restaurant. It's a benefactor that knows your family well enough that is paying for, like knows the situation and paid the school directly. Like that shows that Clarence is not going to advocate or or vote for anything that this Nazi statue collector doesn't want because he is so close and knee deep in it is this is what this proves. And this is why we're bringing it up. Yeah, it's that's kind of the point is like it would be different if this kid like applied for and got just like an above the board scholarship. That would be a completely different situation. But this is like a, again, political operative, Republican mega donor directly paying for his schooling and then saying it's a scholarship. And it's like, if that's what you want to do, establish a scholarship and have and create, yeah, create a scholarship fund and have it go through that. But it is improper for a person, an individual to pay for a Supreme Court justice's child, essentially, because he was raising this kid. So this is his kid to pay for his child's education in this manner. It Mm -hmm. would like I I would feel completely differently about it if it was like Clarence Thomas adopted his grandnephew. The kid had some struggles and he applied for and got a scholarship. That Mm -hmm. is a totally different world. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just know we know that like Joe Biden had periods where he couldn't afford his like his he was helping pay for his son's cancer treatment. And like if you're going to be a, one of the most powerful people in the country, it's just something you give up is, is letting people do you even small favors like this. And as we know, this is now totaled millions and millions of dollars. But yeah, as as more stories come out, this one adds sort of like a, a slightly more nuanced element of whether this was sort of like deserved or virtuous but you know for all the reasons we said it's still a a huge ethical breach and something we should all be really alarmed about
We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and and of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Let's move on to women's rights and women's wrongs. You know, we've been doing a lot of women's wrongs lately. So this episode, we're going to talk about some women doing some things right. This one, I mean, some people maybe don't think this is right, but that's what I kind of want to talk about today. We're going to talk about Representative Angie Craig. She is the Democratic, one of the Democratic representatives from Minnesota, and she's in the news this week for dropping a requirement that her staff members in Congress have a bachelor's degree. In an interview with a local outlet, she said that the country needs to, quote, rethink the workforce, saying that relevant experience should be considered even if somebody does not specifically have, you know, a four-year degree that they paid for. She's the first to do this in Congress, but she joined several governors who have done so at the state level, removed that requirement. She said in her announcement, no career trajectory should be defined by a piece of paper. It should be determined by work ethic, life experience, and the and ability to do the job. So again, I posted this and a lot of people liked that she did this, but did not like that quote. They didn't like that she said no career trajectory should be defined by a piece of paper. I guess like, you know, you should have a a medical <clears throat> degree. But yeah. I think I think let's be charitable here. And what she meant more broadly is that like jobs, especially in Congress that require a lot of experience and knowledge uh, specifically that you can get on a, you know, professional advancement path that doesn't necessarily have to include um, a four year degree. So what do you guys think of this? Do you think that more members should do this? Yeah, I mean, I think when we're in a world where college is only increasing in its like cost and uh, the financial, like the economy is getting worse and worse. I mean, even to go to your local state school or a community college is really expensive and hard to man, hard to manage for people. So, and it, yeah, it depends on what the job is, but like, yeah, should a doctor go to medical school? Absolutely. But like, do you need a four year degree to, assist a congress person probably not if you've shown proficiency in other places if you have a work you know if you have a background of having worked if you can show from whatever your high school education that you're able to you know communicate clearly write an email etc it's like I think we should be open to different ways of people getting the experience necessary to do a job yeah, I think that um, as we're talking, you know, again, like the rising cost of college and also like the increased cost of debt. And also there's a lot of factors into if you're the first person in your family to um, go to college, your likelihood of graduating is very is pretty low. So there's a many, many people who have one, two years of college, three years of college. They don't officially have the degree, but they have all the debt. And they're kind of fucked, you know, and instead, if they don't take on another $20,000 or something, they're stuck. So I think that, um, you know, there are plenty of jobs. I'm just thinking about the first few jobs that I had straight out of college where I was a receptionist. You know, you don't need to be you don't need to have a degree to be a receptionist or an exec assistant or this and that. There's just all these like barriers of entry and all these like two years of experience. And I have plenty of people in my family and that I know that have associates degrees or don't have any degrees that have been working for 15, 20 years. And that's kind of like it's kind of crazy because it's only a little recently that we have started even requiring degrees for some of these more entry level office jobs. Mm -hmm. Like, 
And, you know, so so even that is like a new thing where like to get any office job, any assistant job, any admin job, you know, you need this four year degree. It was before like, and you know, anyone in a lot, it was, a, you know, that's why there are a lot of women in a lot more entry level positions because they would, you know, when they would finish with their maternity leave or as the kid, you know, it was something that you can go into without having necessarily like four years of college. And I think, yeah, like we do need to talk about that. And also there's a lot of things that, I mean, part of like what I do with social media management, like with one of my nonprofits is like to run a social media page, you don't have to go to college. Like it's just knowing what the platforms are in this. And there's tons of little specialized skills like that. There's coding boot camps. There's this, that, that there, you know, there's tons of little training programs that are way cheaper and way quicker and allow people to work faster than a four-year degree. Do I think this goes into like a flip side of like, do you think college is important at all? And I do think college is really important. I do think it teaches critical thinking skills, networking and all that. But um, I just don't think it's the only path and college isn't necessarily for everybody. And we need to embrace many different things. And I and I do think that if you graduate somewhere four years, like maybe you go in a different career, you know, you don't start out as an admin assistant or whatever. You start out with something a little different. So like my eight cents. <laughs> I think that's I think your eight cents is exactly on the money because <laughs> I, I feel like it's not about saying like, college is useless or college is the most important thing. It's about saying yes. that like college is one path that can be in a really fruitful, amazing way for a young person to get really important skills, learn a ton, become someone who can enter the workforce at a certain level. But it's not the only way mm -hmm. that a person could learn those skills, get to that place, et cetera. And right now, with the way bachelor's degree requirements work, it's literally the only way that you can break into so many different careers. And I think that's kind of what this is acknowledging. And I also think it's just smart because we are in a situation where coming out of the pandemic, a lot of people had their education seriously interrupted, disrupted, had to stop college, had to drop out of college. Like we're just in a place where there are probably a lot more people entering the workforce who maybe have a non-traditional path when it comes to their education and work experience and stuff because we literally had to put the entire world on hold for two years. And I know there were a bunch of kids who were like, I'm not paying for a college on that I'm doing on Zoom. Yeah. Like, I'm not doing that. So we're mm -hmm, going to have to mm -hmm. start accounting for the different tracks that this new generation had to take to get to the workforce. Yeah, definitely. And I think specifically, it's a conversation that can happen in a range of fields, certainly not every entry-level position. I think it's important to note that, like, I'm not sure what the representative, what the congresswoman's thinking is here, but I don't really think the idea is to highlight like eight or, or excuse me, hire 18 year olds out of high school. I think it's probably more like if you worked on a congressional campaign in 2022 and you, while you were, you know, of college age, but you didn't have a bachelor's degree, but you absolutely knocked it out of the park, you're going to be a huge asset. And then you get plugged in there and then maybe you get the experience to eventually be a legislative director and maybe other people get that experience at public policy school. Like you said, it's just another path, especially, but I do think it's especially valuable in Congress where it's been a huge issue to get even any diversity within mm. uh, the ranks of staffers. And that's not just because of, of the college uh, requirement. It's just because a lot of the way the nepotism works, but um, it's definitely a barrier removed that can hopefully open the door to that. Next up in women's rights, we owe Boston some penance after <laughs> roasting Kirsten Cinema for paying $8,000 a night to stay there. <laughs> We will do that today. It's a little much for a hotel room, but I do like Boston. Absolutely. It's a little much for a hotel room anywhere. Yes. yes. I'm like eight, $2,000 a night in Paris is going to be like a crazy, crazy like, but $8,000 no, a night. Was genuinely, uh, nobody was genuinely upset, but we will do that today through some praise of your mayor, Michelle Wu. The city's mayor spoke out against, I just... I love this story that Millie sent specifically because it's just like, imagine being Michelle Wu, like on, like, I think this was like a Saturday being like, ma'am, can you please speak out 
against white supremacy at the satanic conference. <laughs> and she's like, sure, of course. Uh, okay. <laughs> and she yeah, did. Put it on the calendar. <laughs> put it on the calendar. She, of course. So last weekend, <laughs> I wasn't, I keep getting confused because it's like SatanCon. It's not SantaCon, but honestly, I don't yeah, know which I is was worse. Like, Amanda spe- spelled it wrong, but no, it's SatanCon. It's SatanCon. And so the Satan, the satanic, these people have sort of like developed a religion that is like has a darkness to it, but it's more like humanism. But, you know, it, it had uh, plenty of, of critics, many of whom were from the Patriot Front, which is a white supremacist group, and they marched throughout Boston to protest this Satan Con 2023. I but think Santa Con is more Satan Con <laughs> than Satan Con is Satan Con. Absolutely. <laughs> anyway, she said in a statement, she had to say in a statement, Boston stands firmly against the hateful ideology of white supremacist groups and their presence is not welcome here. So she stood up for the Satanists and she's also being praised for prioritizing policy and funding around the city's homeless population. A lot of tough challenges there, and I know a lot of people are really impressed with how she's been handling them. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Finally today, it is time for Are Men Okay? Not me. Goat's milk latte drinking. M&M's will not be satisfied until every last cartoon character isn't unappealing. Avocado toast eating insiders only. That does not lend credibility to your argument. It makes you look mean. Ladies, though, you know what? We have our first segment of Are Men Okay? Where the answer might actually be yes. I wanted to find... We've never never had that. That's not really... um, you know, the aim of this segment. But when we were chatting earlier, we just felt like we needed something good. We needed something positive. Maybe it's our man. Okay. Our man. Okay. Man. Our man. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so the man in question today is Senator Ben Cardin. He announced this week that he won't seek a fourth term in the United States Senate. Senator Cardin is 79 years old and would be 80 entering the next term. And he said in a statement, a shocking statement from an American lawmaker, that it's time for him to call it quits after what will be a 58-year legislative career. It's time to call it quits. I guess that's enough. I guess that's enough. But he did. He entered the Senate in 2007. So he's really kind of a young gun compared to some of the people we have in there. You know, we, if this is your first time listening, we are not shy at all on the show about urging politicians of a certain age to make room for rising stars and the party to advance. Don't worry. We're not ageist about it. It's just, it's a problem. And we just need to make some room with, you know, we just need to make some room for some new people. And so he is, he is heeding that call and Ben Cardin is, is going to retire. Do you think this is a good decision? Do you think he's okay? I think he's okay. I think he's good more for than Senator I, Cardin. I, I think that he's more than okay because he wants to live out his remaining years, not in the fucking U S Senate, which is, Like, again, we've said a million times on this podcast, when I am 80, I want to be in a chair like that heats up if I press a button with like my grandchildren coming towards me. Uh, (laughs) I want to be like, I don't want to be trying to figure out like the immigration system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to be making laws about AI when I can barely convert a PDF. Exactly. And of course, not every 80-year-old. There are many technically savvy 80-year-olds. But it's funny that you say that because I was watching his retirement announcement video and it is exactly that. It's like very warm. His wife is next to him. They're just like in a warm embrace. Like, finally, it is time. We've had such a wonderful relationship with the people of Maryland. And it's like, how lovely instead of all of your constituents and and your colleagues being like, please, ma'am, go. Like, Yeah, and it's – I mean, it is interesting with the Dianne Feinstein of it all because uh, The Daily did a really good episode about her this week and about Mm. her career, which, you know, is a long and storied career that really, 
like in an alternate universe, she should be able to end on a high note. But because of all of this back and forth about she needs to resign, is she sick? Is she well? All of this stuff, I think it has like kind of tainted her ability to go out on a note like Senator Cardin is going out where he is having a really nice press conference and everyone's like, wow, you did such a good job. Yeah. And like your time yeah. was so good and da da da. Like it enables him to go out in a way that it honors the career that he had. And it kind of bums me out that Diane Feinstein isn't going to get that because it's gotten to this point where people kind of really need her to have maybe stepped down prior to now a few and maybe years have ago, not, yeah. yeah, and have not run prior to now. So that now we're in this situation and it's unfortunate. Like it's unfortunate when it happens with Diane Feinstein, it's unfortunate that it happened with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which I always struggle with because it's like, that's a mm-hmm. person who, whose career is really something that should be lauded and applauded and all this stuff. But there is this weird little dot at the end. That's like, she didn't resign and it did. I don't I don't buy the people who place all of that squarely on her shoulders. No, like, yeah, I absolutely. I mean, that, we don't buy it. Subscribe. I think that that's a way for sometimes, mm-hmm. honestly, leftist men yeah. to try to blame a really fucked up thing that happened on a woman instead of maybe some of them not voting in 2016. But, you know, that should be our new... That should be and a new segment. Like, that's a conversation for another day. Yeah. <laughs> well, but you know, I mean, it's some something's yeah. there. Something's yeah. there, and that's why they say it. And yep. uh, you know, yep. again, at the at, at the end of the day of this conversation, the fact is, why are these people so obsessed with working? Like, let's fucking retire earlier. Uh, look at what happened in France when they want to. <laughs> Ask people to work two more years after sixty-five. Joe loved that White House correspondence dinner. He was a e- joke. He was eating it up when when Roy Wood was like, "And you got this eighty-year-old begging for his job back." Yo, <laughs> like, come on, yeah. like these people in France are blowing shit up, and then we're and we're here being like eighty wow, years old. Wow, eighty years so old. Early. He's leaving at early retirement, peak, <laughs> the peak of his career. It's like, man. As Ali said, we're very mindful of the words we use around women and men and it's like yeah Diane this has nothing to do with any of that yeah this is like (sighs) this is this is boomer hate yeah watch him like announce he's gonna run for for president oh god any minute now he can't really run anywhere can't (laughs) (laughs) all right that is our show for today until the end of democracy I'm Amanda Duberman I'm Elise Morales I'm Millie Tamaris and this is the Betches Up podcast bye the Betches Up Podcast is produced by Amanda Duerman, Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Rebecca Sousmacat. Editing by Rebecca Sousmacat. Social media by Amanda Duberman and Bridget Swartz. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails at suppod at betches.com. Betches.